Good morning, fellowship. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm always grateful for the faithful ones who weather the storms of life, and so never can tell. Good to see you here this morning. Um, How many of you have a child that is graduating from uh, high school or college? Yeah, okay. I want you to stand right now. Yeah. Didn't think I was going to embarrass you like this, huh? I want you to stand. Uh, I want to say a word here. Uh, I, I would love to pray for folks. You know, we pray for our kids when they graduate, and that's true. We're going to do that tonight. But Karen and I have discovered that with transitions come a different style of parenting, and there are different issues that you got to deal with. And so I just feel led to pray that God will grant you wisdom as you deal with uh, you know, these young adults who sometimes think they're a little bit older than they really are or not as old as they need to be or whatever else takes place. And uh, so let's pray together. Father, thank you so very much for your goodness and grace. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for these milestones. Thank you for these parents who are standing here because as they watch their child go across the stage, uh, flooding their minds will be all kinds of issues and things and the goodness and the grace of God. And thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord Jesus, that these young people have endured. And uh, Lord, they did that because these parents, these folks standing, uh, kept pointing them toward the finish line. And now, Lord, as they make transitions, some of these young people will be going off to college. Some of them will be graduating from college and entering careers. And Lord God, you know uh, the transition that it takes uh, for us to parent effectively. So I pray for wisdom, Lord. I pray for courage to say no to impulses. And I pray, God, for vision. I pray, Lord Jesus, for protection, Father. I pray that as parents, we will not be afraid to give our kids the wonderful privilege and gift of failure and mistakes. And Lord Jesus, may you teach us to bite our tongues because you want to do something greater. And Father, I pray that you will just do wonderful things in the hearts and lives of these young people. We trust you, we love you, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. may be seated. Well, good to see everybody this morning. And if you have a Bible, I want you to meet me in Matthew, Matthew chapter, chapter 5. Again, I'm going to be talking about a passage of Scripture, a paragraph. When we read our Bibles, we read that and we go, huh, um, okay, I know there's a meaning there, so let's go on to the next story. And uh, I, want to, I want to park it here. I got to tell you, too, this morning, as we look at Matthew chapter 5, in this text that I'm going to read here in a few moments, um, it's one of these passages that I thought I knew a lot about. And once I got in it, discovered that there are some unanswered questions. And uh, you're going to hear me say something today that I, in terms of me not being sure, I think one of the greatest things, the pressure that, one of, one of the pressures that preachers feel and Bible teachers feel is that we always have to have an answer for something. Well, uh, truthfulness and honesty trumps having an answer for everything. And uh, so I, I want to I tell you that this is one of these texts that really... Um, troubles me a little bit because I can't get my heart and mind around the final statement on the passage. And by the way, I read a ton of commentaries and so I don't feel too bad because evidently they ain't got their heads around the final statement on it either. And it's amazing how they dance around a core issue in this text. And I know I'm building some tension here. We're going to get to this thing in a moment. It's amazing how they bounce around some core issues Uh, in the text, but they don't exactly answer it. I'm going to give you a suggestion, but my suggestion is going to be open-handed. However, there are some things in the text that are very clear, very clear that I do want us to press into with great confidence, and I won't back away from those things, but there is a central issue that is not resolved. And by the way, let me just say this. Let me just say this to all of us who disciple and teach people. Um, Don't be afraid to say you don't know. Don't be afraid to say that. Uh, The worst thing you can do is to borrow an insight from somebody else that you're not sure about and the text doesn't justify and you go sell it. 
that's dishonesty. If you don't know, you don't know. Remember, we're not the fourth members of the Trinity. There's some things that are mystery. And uh, so embrace that. Embrace that. Having set you up and created all that marvelous tension, let's look at the text. Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 33. Matthew 5, beginning at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, verse 34. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. What does that mean? What does that mean? Don't take an oath at all. What does that mean? When the president swears on the Bible, the oath of office, is that wrong? What does that mean? When you, before you testify in court and you put your hand on the Bible, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, is that wrong? What does that mean? Oh, let's leave that float there for a while and let's go back to the context again. Context is king. And so as I set this up, I think there's some hints here that the context is given to us. Remember, remember that these brief paragraphs, these six illustrations in the book of Matthew come from a statement that Jesus makes in verse 20. Verse 20 is the principle. Verse 20 is the statement. He says in verse 20 here, for I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, that's very important to understand in each one of these six things, but particularly this one right here. He's talking about a righteousness that exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Okay. Now, what was the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees? Ostentatious, ostentatious living, showy living. And, and hold on to this word, presumption. Presumption. Uh, they, they assumed and presumed upon God. They thought that everything that they did was right. And it was all external. It was all showy. It was all demonstration. And Jesus is saying, look, underneath the hood, you, you have to have a righteousness that goes beyond them. Said this before, said this before, but I'm going to say it again. The righteousness that goes beyond them is not that they compete with their ostentatious shows. No, 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 that's not what he's talking about. It's not that they do or we do things perfectly. He's talking about a pure motivation of the heart. A purity of the heart. And what he's saying is that's the place of real righteousness. Remember, he sets it up with the Beatitudes, blessed are for, and all of those things are internal attitudes of purity. He's contrasting that with the Pharisees, who are legalistic and showy, and they're using the Bible to leverage their positions. No, your righteousness has to go far beyond that. And then he gives us those six illustrations. Now he comes to the one on oaths. Oaths. On words. And I've entitled the message, Is Your Word Good Enough? Is Your Word Good Enough? Now, before we dive into the text, let me just set it up some more. Um, have you ever had somebody commit you to something that you did not agree to? When I read this text, immediately something came to mind. This has happened to me several times during the year, during the years of my years of ministry. A number of years ago, uh, someone, I was in a meeting with someone and they, they were planning this event and uh, they were talking about the event, and I was excited about the idea of the event. And I communicated how excited I was about the idea of the event, and it was absolutely a great thought, and I thought that God uh, was going to use it in a great way. And he said, well, Crawford, we want you to be uh, one of the speakers there. And I said, I don't know if I can do that or not. I have to go back and check, but, um, you know, I'm excited about the concept. And I remembered my, my exact words. Well, I came back, 
and had a dialogue with a person who was handling my schedule about the possibilities and this kind of thing and discovered that I, I really could not do it. This was several days. This guy must have gone ahead before he contacted me and printed the brochure. I kid you not. He printed the brochure with my picture in it saying that I was going to be there. I said, yo, dude, you about ready to get embarrassed big time because I ain't showing up. I can't do it. Yeah, but you said you like. I said, I like the concept, but I did not commit myself to doing that. How do you think God feels when we commit him to stuff that he has nothing to do with? That really is the thread behind this paragraph. Presuming and committing God to stuff that he has nothing to do with. Making promises on his name that he has not initiated. He's not, he's not in it at all. And just because you have a desire and I have a desire for God to do so, something doesn't obligate God to do it. And that really is the feel behind this. And he's saying that these these. These Pharisees and these Sadducees just kind of like presumptuously drop God's name. Drop his name on whatever they want to do. Drop it. They make a promise. So help me, God. You're going to do what I say, so help me, God. I'm going to show up at your house, I swear by God. And they were just dropping his name. God's going, oh, yo, I didn't say anything about that. You see, the backdrop of all of this is... The third, I mean, the third commandment. That's what Jesus is really talking about here. He's going back to the third commandment. That's found, obviously, in Exodus 20, verse 7. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And what he's saying in this brief paragraph is, don't mention God's name unless you mean it. Don't do that. And I got to tell you, I got to tell you, I, you know, we, we are too casual with God's name. God's name is holy. His name represents his position. His name represents everything that he is. And I think we violate this commandment all the time. We take his name and then we casually use God's name. And here, the backdrop of all of this is that, that Jesus is saying, look, 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 you, you're making oaths and you're making them casually and you're invoking the name of God. You're actually taking the name of God in vain. Now, the question is, you know, <laughs> how do we take the Lord's name in vain? And I, I just want to speak to Christians. I know society does, but as believers, we do it too. I just want to give you four illustrations. I mean, when we get angry. You know, the proverbial deal, you hit your thumb with a hammer. And so you say, God, condemn it. I didn't use a shortened version of that statement. <laughs> and I've always thought about that. You know, when we hit our thumb on something, or, you know, we, and we utter those words, think about, how, think about how stupid and silly that is. What are we asking God to condemn? The The hammer? God condemn it, or the situation, God condemn it, or me, God condemn me. Well, what are we asking him to do? You know, and we bring God into it, and God said, yo, I didn't do that. If you'd have been looking at the nail when you swung the hammer, maybe you wouldn't have hurt your thumb. So we use his name in vain when we get angry. We use his name in vain, uh, you know, as believers, when, uh, when we want to impress others. And I'm going to say something here. Um, at, at the risk of, of, of uh, offending some in this body, uh, be careful about using the expression God said to me. Did he really say that to you? Or did you want him to say that to you? I have run into people who use that expression an awful lot. Now, don't get me wrong. I do believe that God speaks to us. I do believe that he leads us. But I'll be honest with you. I run into some people and I'm saying, you know, God ain't saying all that to you. Every time they turn around, God said this to me. And I think sometimes we use that expression because we want to we somehow or another, uh, uh, you know, impress other people that we're spiritual, that we somehow have an edge or whatever. And so be careful of dropping God's name and leveraging his name to do what you want to do, which is the third one. I, um, we want to we have our own way. 
the Lord is leading me. I won't mention the name of this organization, but uh, it's, it's not as prominent uh, these days. But many, 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 many years ago, it was headed by a guy that always said this whenever he wanted to have his way with his board. He would say, well, the Lord is leading me. Well, the Lord, God does lead us. But after a while, and there are some godly people on that board, they, they said, well, yo, I mean, how do we fight with God? What, what, what we need to be very careful of is don't use his name in vain and don't hijack his name because you just want to have your way. You just want to do what you want to do. Don't, don't prostitute God that way. Don't bring him down to that unless you really know uh, within reason that God is prompting you and leading you. Okay, you can say that, but don't say that about everything. Chances are he's not leading you as much as you think. Sometimes it's just a good idea and you have to be honest. I don't know if God's in it. Let's see if he's in it. But don't use that as leverage. And then the fourth one is this. When we, uh, when we are impressed or surprised, OMG, oh my God. You know, I want, to, I want you to be careful of that, okay? I know we do that. I know it's colloquial. But we're actually using the Lord's name in vain. Now, if you really mean that as a prayer, something happens, you go, oh, my God, and you're praying, that's one thing. But if it's just a, the, the, the most recent colloquial throwaway line that when you, you know, you know oh, I just, heard that, I just heard that George broke up with Susie, OMG, you know, or whatever. I mean, we laugh at these things, but actually, that's a very serious offense. We're using God's name in vain. And see, the point is this, and this all has to do with the text. A careless, insincere use of the name of God amounts to blasphemy. God does not want to be called upon to position us. God wants to be called upon to position himself. God does not want to be called upon to make us look good in the eyes of others. When we call upon his name, it is for his glory. So he says in the third commandment, look, look, don't be dropping my name unless you mean it. Don't mention my name unless there's some divine intention around it. Don't use the Lord's name the Lord's name in vain. Now, let's get to the text here. If you look at verse 31, I'm, I'm sorry, verse 33, he says, again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you should not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all. I want to lift up a couple of words to help us and give some definition. And then I want to give you the, what I really believe is the big idea that Jesus is driving at. He says the word swear obviously means to make a solemn promise or an oath. He's not talking about profanity here, although that could be th- thrown into that. We say uh, swearing is profanity. It's not, he's not necessarily talking about profanity here, but he's talking about the making of a solemn oath. By the way, there's a warning in the Old Testament. Leviticus 19, 12 warns us, don't swear falsely. Don't swear falsely. He's talking about making a solemn oath. Now, the word oath is a solemn binding vow that carries with it a curse if violated. And that's why Jesus is saying, whoa, 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 whoa. Watch your oaths now. Wait a minute. You you do understand, according to Numbers 521, you do understand that if you make an oath, if you make an oath with it, comes a curse if it's violated. So don't just say, I'm going to make an oath. And every elected official that puts his hand on a Bible and makes an oath, he's not just posturing himself that I intend to really be serious about this. What I think every last one of them ought to be told before they put their hand on the Bible. Now, before you put your hand on the Bible and raise your white hand, you do understand if you violate this oath, a curse comes with it. You do understand that, don't you? And by the way, this speaks of marriage, too. When you enter into bereth, sacred, solemn, binding agreement, 
We look at that in a positive light. There's a positive light. But there's a reason why divorce is always messy, because when it's broken up, there's a curse. It's a curse that comes with it. You, you, don't, you don't just take oaths without there being repercussions. There are implications of oaths. It is a sacred, solemn, binding agreement. So when you raise your hand and you take an oath, it's there. You see, you see an oath, the difference between an oath and a vow, they're kind of like on this, they, they, there's two sides of the same coin, but an oath appeals to the authority and integrity of a deity. You're calling the character and integrity and the veracity of God into your decision, into what you've just sworn to. So when you take an oath, you are, you are calling in the character of God and who he is to step into that which you have sworn. Now, a vow appeals to the authority and integrity of the one making the commitment. And I'll tip my hand a little bit. Some have convictions, and I wouldn't argue with you that based upon this text, they, if they would not be sworn in in a court of law because they don't, they don't take an oath. And I would, I would respect that if that's your conviction. Like I said, this is hard and fast. But I, I don't necessarily see it that way. I see what we do in courtrooms as more as a vow that I can tell the truth and I'm being held responsible to tell the truth. And so in that regard, I intend to tell the truth, so help me God. I think that that's legitimate. But a vow... Has, is lodged in me keeping the oath. It has to do with me. That's the difference. Now, here's the tension of this passage. This is the reason why I say you have to hold things with an open hand. The tension of this passage is this. When you look at verse, 30, uh, verse 34, and Jesus says, do not take an oath at all, you ought to have a problem with that if you read your Bibles. You ought to have a problem with that. Hold your finger there and go over to Matthew chapter 26. I promise you I'm going to get the applications. Matthew chapter 26. This is, this is amazing. Jesus is standing before the high priest Caiaphas, right? Drop your eye down to verse 63. He's standing before the high priest Caiaphas. And in verse 63, it says, but Jesus, as he's being grilled, but Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, here you go, here you go, here you go. He is telling Jesus to come in under this oath and to agree with it. He says, I adjure you by the living God. Tell us of who, if you are the Christ, the son of God. He was, he was swearing him in. That's an oath. That's an oath. Now, you would think, based upon what Jesus said in Matthew 5, that Jesus said, no, 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 I'm not taking that oath. I don't need to take that oath. I am the son of God. I don't have to say that at all. But Jesus takes the oath. Where do you get that from? Verse 64, Jesus said to him, you have said so. He responded under oath. You say, well, that's a little vague. Well, let me be more clear. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 23, and in chapter 11, verse 31, he makes an oath. So, how do you reconcile the words of Jesus when he says, you shall not make an oath at all, and yet under Caiaphas, he makes an oath? And the Apostle Paul takes an oath. In fact, Paul, nobody asked him to. At least Caiaphas asked Jesus. Paul says, he, he says it himself. What's the answer? I don't have a complete answer to this. But I do have a suggestion that leans toward the context. I think Jesus was speaking in a bit of hyperbole, and I think what he was really saying is, and we'll see this a little bit later, is that, look, if you're committed to the truth, you don't have to, you don't have to take oaths. It's not necessary to take oaths, but I think in the broader context, he was really busting the scribes and the Pharisees. He said, the reason why you all have to take oaths is because you're dishonest. 
The perspective is this. What Jesus is referring to are oaths as the outcome of our exaggeration and trivializing God to endorse what we want. And that's what they did. They were, they were exaggerating things. They, they were hypocrites. They were always dragging God's name into stuff that he had nothing to do with. And as a result, oaths became a joke. It became the joke of the day. They weren't being taken serious. God became terribly trivialized. And so Jesus said, hey, time out. Don't do that anymore. On rare occasion, maybe. But don't do that anymore. One of the reasons why we make oaths is that it is an admission that we have to borrow character and integrity. And sort of a backhanded way, you know, them making all these oaths and all this stuff was an insight into their lack of integrity. If you got to keep swearing by God, then something's wrong with you. Where's your character? Where's your integrity? Evidently, the scribes and the Pharisees didn't have the integrity for their word to stand by itself. So I would say that what Jesus is saying on balance, on rare occasions, take an oath. On rare occasions, take an oath. But generally speaking, you shouldn't have to do that. You really shouldn't have to do it. Okay, here's a big idea. The big idea. And you'll see this on the screen. In the rest of this passage, I think Jesus is saying, don't make commitments based upon collateral you don't own or control. That's what Jesus is saying. Don't make commitments based upon collateral you don't own or control. It really is a statement of humility. He says, don't don't make your mouth write a a, a promise that you don't have the position to fulfill. That's what he's saying. And in, in, in a certain way, although you have to read between the lines, He is knocking these Pharisees and religious leaders and these legalists off their high horses. He's knocking them off their pedestal. No, don't, don't, don't go. You don't, you don't, you don't have collateral. You don't even own the collateral. You don't, you don't possess it. How are you going to go around making promises based upon something you don't own or control? And by the way, by the way, listen to me. This is the reason why I get a little upset with some of these TV preachers and the, 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 the word of faith movement and all of this stuff going around making all these declarations. I declare God to do that. You don't declare God to do anything. How arrogant is that? God's not obligated, obligated to do your declarations. You don't own anything that belongs to God. Our posture is that we're broken, lost sinners in need of his grace and his power and his sovereignty. Don't let your words trespass your position. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And so he gives three big reasons why, three big reasons why we should not make commitments based upon collateral. We don't own or control. Reason number one is because we don't control God's domain. That's what he says in verses 34 and 35. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. You see what he's doing here? You know, <laughs> uh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. You are swearing by heaven as if you own heaven? You're swearing by earth as if you own earth? You're swearing by Jerusalem, and that's a, that's a reference to the kingdom of God and, and, uh, and, and his earthly rule. You're swearing by Jerusalem as if you control his kingdom. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, <laughs> you don't control God's domain. How are you going to hijack God to do what you want him to do, and you have no skin in the game? That's what he's saying. You are forever dependent, buddy. You own nothing. Nothing. In fact, I think this foreshadows what Jesus is saying. Remember, Jesus said earlier that he is the fulfillment of the law. I could get off on this. 
I could get off on this because he's actually hinting at his own crucifixion. You say, that's not in the text. How, where do you get that? Well, let me just kind of like go offline here for a second. You see, the old covenant was coming to an end. Jesus is masterful. And when you connect this, when he says he is the fulfillment of the law, the old covenant is coming to an end and Jesus himself is the truth. That's what he said in John 14, 6. For I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes unto the Father except by me. But then he says over in 1 John 5, 21, that if we are in him, we are in the truth. Oh, the implication is simply this. You don't have to swear by anything that's outside of you because I'm already in you. And if you are in me, you have the authority of the truth in you. You don't own what belongs to God. He owns heaven. He owns earth. He owns this kingdom. He says, don't, don't, don't borrow that collateral. I didn't give you permission to borrow that collateral. The second reason is because we don't control ourselves. He gets even more specific. Uh, no, you don't control God's domain, Crawford. But number two, hey, hey, honestly, you don't even control yourself. Listen to what he says here. Mm. Verse 36. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Now, he wasn't talking about hair color, and we can do that today. Okay, I got that. Wear wigs. I got that. The larger point is this. His point is not literally coloring our hair or this kind of thing. His larger point is simply this. Um, Crawford, don't be a control freak. That's self-idolization. Don't think that you can determine outcomes. You can't. For you don't control yourself. You don't control my domain. And really, you don't control you. Uh, he's saying we don't control our bodies, we don't control our circumstances, and we don't control our future. So you can't even swear by yourself. You can't even offer yourself up as collateral. Because you, can't, you, can't, you, you don't have the resources to pay for what you just offered up. You don't control you. God said, no, no, I own you. I control the clock. I control every event in your life. I control your body. I control your kids. I control your affairs. I control everything about you, Crawford. Don't you ever get smug and arrogant and pompous. Don't go around making promises as if you can control the future and the outcomes. You see, James was in the audience when he heard this, when Jesus said this. He said, well, how do you, how do you know that? You see, because he wrote over in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 17, that everything we do in life is subject to his change. Oh, let's look at that text. James was in the audience because I really believe that James actually is repeating what Jesus said on this day. James chapter 4, beginning at verse 13, he says, Come now, you who say today or tomorrow we will go in such and such a, a town and spend a year there and trade and make a point. Really? Make a profit. Really? 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 You're going to do that? Okay. Yet, do, yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. And I'm going to come to that in a second. So you say, oh, oh. Don't, don't, don't make promises based upon collateral you don't own. You don't control God's domain and personally, honestly, you don't control you. You don't control you. Now, the third reason why we should not make commitments based upon collateral that we don't own or control because presumption is evil. 
That's what he says here. He says, presumption is evil. Interesting, isn't it? You remember what David said back in Psalm 19, verse 13, when he says, Lord, keep me from what? Presumptuous sins? The arrogance that God somehow has to do this for me? It is the, presumption is a sin of entitlement? That somehow or another God owes me this? And too many Christians have a quid pro quo relationship with God. They think because they've gone to church, they give their money, they've made sacrifices, they've, they've done all these things, that somehow or another, somehow or another, God owes them. God owes us nothing. We never sign a contract with God. God's not into contractual arrangements. Because we do something for God does not put God on the hook. And this is where presumption stands in. And you, you can just smell this thing. The Pharisees, they had, you know, they had memorized, uh, if, if my research is accurate, they had memorized the first five books of the Bible, the, 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 the Pentateuch. They knew these things. They knew the law. They, they had all these other things. They were just whiz kids and all of this stuff. And they actually believed, they actually believed, they actually believed that because they were so ostentatious and they fasted and they quoted the Bible and, that they, 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 you know, they did all this, quote, spiritual stuff, that they can present. Zoom upon God. God owes us nothing. You hear me? Nothing. And I talk to too many Christians. Who feel as if they've got God on the line. So he says here in verse 37, let, your, let what you say be simply yes or no. Yes or no. Anything more than this, this is a strong line. Anything more than this comes from evil. By the way, the alter, alternative rendering, anything more than this comes from the evil one. Wow. 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 You hear what Jesus is saying here, connected to context? If you presume upon God, and you're going around making these trivialized, exaggerated oaths, what you're doing is mm, evil. You think, you think God takes our word seriously? Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. You, you, you think what he's... What, you, 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 think, you think he takes what we say seriously? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. You, you, you think he takes his name seriously? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And if you go around presuming on me, Crawford, you go around telling people that I said things to you that I didn't say to you, you go around saying a little bit more than I said that ain't, exact, that ain't just wrong, Crawford. You're evil. Never thought of it that way, did you? You're evil. You're evil. Why? Because in a nauseating sense, you are hijacking the truth for your own benefit. He says this is evil. That's wrong. Huh. You see, oaths and vows are a combination to our sinfulness. It's a, a little bit of an irony, isn't it? The very fact that we have to take an oath is an expression that at a certain point we can't be trusted. You've got to keep remembering that God is not obligated to do what we committed him to do. Just so don't just say yes, say no. God's intention from the very beginning was for us to always tell the truth. And that's what Jesus is calling these Pharisees back to. Wait, 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 wait. No, you, you, you're getting into this little old thing, but I need to remind you. Time, time, time. Before the fall, time. Before the fall, time. Before the fall, time. My intention was from the very beginning that you always tell the truth. Why don't we start there? 
and not with these exaggerated, trivialized oaths that harness God and make him your little puppy or doorman or bellboy. Um, See, we shouldn't need crutches to get people to believe us. That's what he's saying. You you don't need those crutches to get people to believe you. You In fact, you got to be careful when people talk too much. Proverbs chapter 10, verse 19 says, when words are many, transgression is not lacking. The more words a person uses to convince us, the more suspicious we should be. I've, I've learned that through the years. Uh, when somebody's talking a little bit too much, mm-mm. I got to tell you this. This has nothing to do with the text, but a couple of months ago, I was in another city uh, speaking at an event, and, uh, uh, and there was another guy that was giving his testimony. This, thing. This, guy picked, this guy picked us up from the airport. He came in, and we had to drive about, <clears throat> the venue was about, I don't know, about an hour and 15 minutes or an hour and a half away. And when I read this from Proverbs, I thought about this experience. So I'm sitting in the back. And the guy that's uh, the director of this event is driving. And this other guy, I had never met him before, he's sitting up front. I would tell you something. Now, I talk a lot. Okay? I do. I talk a lot. But this dude, from the time we showed up at baggage claim until we got to the venue, I mean to the hotel, even to the, he just was talking nonstop. We couldn't breathe. And I'm, I'm in the back seat, and I got a true confession. I was texting Karen in the back seat. I said, honey, I'm being held hostage by a blizzard of words. Pray for me. I, I did ask her. I texted. I, it was like, this dude was wearing me out. I mean, he's wearing it in the driveway. I could see, too. He's trying to be pleasant. He said, please, let's get there quicker. <laughs> you know, and I, when I checked in the hotel, I got to the room. I literally did this. I slid down the door and said, thank you, Jesus. <laughs> Whoo. But here's my point. You know, you know, when you talk too much, you end up saying things you shouldn't be saying. And there was a number of inappropriate things that came out of his mouth because he had too much volume. By the way, that's another message, but some of us need to be very careful. Some of us just, I'll just say it, some of us just talk too much. And you end up saying stuff that hurt you, hurt somebody else, or you inappropriately share things that should have not been shared. And before you know it, those words, those many words, has caused transgression. Transgression. Well... Teddy Roosevelt said, walk softly and carry a big stick. Jesus says, anything more than your yes or no comes from evil. Comes from evil. That's the bottom line. And by the way, James says that again in James 5.12. He's reciting and quoting what Jesus said. This is the reason why I understand James was here when he heard these words. He's quoting Jesus. He says, no, let your yea be yea, and your nay be nay. Anything more of that comes from evil. And I think there are three reasons for that. We are making promises based on things that are out of our control. That's presumption. Number two, we may be lying and are expecting others to lie. That's not believing the best, so that's said. And then Satan may be using us, the evil one. So if you've got to say more than yes... Don't go there. You got to say more than no. You, you, don't, you don't need to go there. You see, character and integrity is a product of consistent behavior over time. And what Jesus was really saying to these Pharisees, hey, look, you want moral authority? You, you, you want people to believe you? It's not about you standing out front of the temple and making all of these bogus claims and pimping God and saying God told you this and making all these crazy oaths and swearing to do this thing and trivializing God. They're not going to believe you because of that. They're going to believe that over time you constantly show up. That's how they believe you. They're going to believe you because your heart and your character eclipses the volume of your words. That, 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 yeah, 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 they don't believe that. 
It's not what you say. You see, your character is your authority. And I, want, I, I think this is what Jesus is really saying here. That's what he's saying here. And I want everyone to listen to me, young people especially, listen to me. This is why lying is so damnable, and I use the word appropriately. Your character is your authority. Who you are will determine the certainty of your yes and no. Did you hear what I just said? Who you are will determine the certainty of your yes and no. People trust you because they can trust you. My dad, he had a big deal. He never co-signed for anything except this one exception. He would co-sign for us to get, now he bought us, he bought us our first car, in my case, first cars, because he felt guilty about the first lemon, but at any rate, um, but he would, he would, he had this, he, he didn't do co-signing except for the first car that you bought. Karen and I were getting married and uh, uh, he came down to Philadelphia and the Chevy dealer and I bought this beautiful 1971 Chevelle. And uh, I had saved my money, but I didn't, have, I didn't have any credit rating or anything like that. So he came down, and he sat next to me and went through the paperwork and all this stuff. And he, because I didn't have, you know, the credit rating, he co-signed for me. But then he said these words to me. And I thought about this when I read, the, read this text. Now, some of you are going to be upset. My dad wasn't PC and he didn't literally mean this, probably came close to meaning this. But he said to me, and never get this, we walked out of, of, that, of that dealership toward the car. And he said, now son, let me tell you something, stop. He put his hand on my shoulders, I'm going to tell you something. If you miss a payment, I will kill you. <laughs> That's exactly what he said to me. You miss one. I didn't think he was going to kill me, but I knew he might do some damage. So... And I, this is the spirit of what he's saying here. He said, well, 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 don't use God as collateral because if you miss a payment, no, let your yay be yay. Let me give you five things to keep in mind and then I'll pray. Five things to keep in mind based upon this text implications. Number one, don't ever trespass God's prerogatives. Some things are not yours to promise. Some things are not mine to promise. Keep that in mind. Don't trespass God's prerogative. Some things are not ours to promise. Number two, and I want you to hear me with this one. Don't play word games with people to get what you want. Don't go, don't, don't go around pushing buttons. You know, some people do that. Some people will intentionally exaggerate a situation to get a response because they really think the, uh, the means justify the ends. Don't, don't, you, don't, you don't want to get in the habit of doing that. Yeah, it might work for you the first couple of laps around the block, but after that, you, you, you know, your character will start stinking. Don't play word games with people to get what you want. Number three, keep your word and you will have all the moral authority you will ever need. Keep your word and you will have all the moral authority you will ever need. Now, this one ouches me a little bit, and I need to, need to give a little bit of confession here. Integrity means a lot to me, but I was thinking about this this past week. You know, uh, one of the things that I've struggled with in recent years is that I'm always kissing the line of overcommitment, and God really spoke to me about this. Sometimes my heart will cause me to make a commitment that time and competencies can't really back up. And so I'm with you on this one. And we need to be very, very careful. I, you know, I don't lie to people, but at the same time, as I thought about this one, I said to myself, well, 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 wait a minute. What you do in terms of the promises that you fulfill, you need to watch that. Because that's the source of your moral authority. Number four, tell the truth and you will become a portrait of integrity. You want integrity? You can go to seminars about it. You can read about it. But let me tell you how to get integrity. Just tell the truth. Just keep telling the truth. Just keep telling the truth. Just keep telling the truth. 
Just keep telling the truth. Just keep telling the truth. And you will have integrity. And the fifth one is this. God has given us his word and his spirit. We can say yes or no with certainty. Say yes or no with certainty. So, the question is, is your word good enough? Is my word good enough? Stand together. I'm so glad on a personal note, I didn't skip over this one because of the richness of its implications. But maybe some of you are saying, Crawford, you know, I'm not really sure that I have the kind of power base and relationship with God that you're talking about that would enable me to do this. Well, that's good news. Remember I said early in the message that Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. You can have that relationship today. All you have to do is say, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin, and I want you to cleanse me of all of my sin, not just deception and lying and presumption and these kinds of things, but my separation from you, and I trust you, and he will come into your heart and life. I'm going to have a word of prayer, and at the end of our service, Uh, Some of us as elders and leaders, Stephen ministers, we'll be up front. And if there's a burden on your heart, uh, either related to what I shared or any other burden on your heart, if you want us to pray with you, we'll be here to pray with you. Father, we thank you so much for your grace and mercy and strength. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for the clarity of your word. We thank you, Father, for uh, the power of God that's found in the truth of your word. Lord Jesus, I pray in the name of your son that we will not make assumptions about you and that we will not drag your name into our realities in inappropriate ways. But Father God, I pray that we will be people who are trustworthy, honest, full of integrity, full of godly character. Lord, may the power of our lives give credibility to the yes that we have to say or the no that we have to say. We love you, Jesus. Dismiss us from this place, but give us a glorious time with you, with our families, our loved ones, and our friends. In Jesus' name, amen.